Welcome to Liberty Action Alert with Greg Seltz, sponsored by our friends at the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty here in Washington, D.C., a program that cuts through the chaos and confusion in the culture today by talking to kingdom citizenship, bold biblical principles for a robust public Christian life. And now your host, Dr. Greg Seltz. Good day, good day, Washington, D.C., and friends of the program all across the country. I'm Greg Seltz. Welcome to Liberty Action Alert. Today in our program, uh, we have our special guest, Dr. Gene Edward Veith. He's an author, scholar, professor. Uh, There's some books, folks. You just need to look him up. I I love the book Christianity in an Age of Terrorism. Postmodern Times, that's, that's a primer. I use that all the time. But one of the books that you wrote, and we're going to talk about this today too, Gene, Modern Fascism, The Threat to the Judeo-Christian Worldview. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But welcome, Gene. It's great to have you back on the program. Yeah, good to be with you again. And the reason I want to bring you back, we just had this uh, react the, this, the 303 creative case in the Supreme Court where Lori Smith, um, she was an online creator, works with wedding stuff and things like that, but it doesn't do it because her conscience uh, does not allow her to agree with the notion of of gay weddings. She's a traditional Christian, a biblical Christian on that. And so she was just basically saying the state doesn't have the right to force me to do that kind of work. And she won. Um, so we're all sitting there going, okay, good, because that seems like a reasonable thing. You know, just because you differ with my view of, of marriage doesn't seem like you should force me to do something that I don't want to do. Well, what was amazing to me was the reaction to some of this stuff, not just the reaction by people, but by public officials, attorney generals who said, well, we're just not going to obey that law or we're going to find ways around that law. And I guess my I just thought of you, especially when I saw these reactions, you talk about the seeds of fascism that are coming back into our American culture. Isn't this the fascism full flower? Isn't this what we're starting to see? Talk that through from your perspective. Well, yeah, it is. And it's not just a matter of what the government is doing. There's a whole mindset at work. And it does come from fast. It comes from uh, Nietzsche and the way he replaced the intellect with the will to power. Okay, right. And this is the heart of Nazi ideology. And it's also the heart of all the forms of postmodernism that truth of any kind, moral truth, intellectual truth, factual truth, these are constructions, mm-hmm. and we approach them not with the intellect, but with the will, specifically the will to power. And so when somebody disagrees with you, it's not just a matter of the intellect, and, and it's not a matter of you know disagreeing with one idea or another. You mentioned that, well, this was a very reasonable uh, conclusion. Right. <laughs> But that doesn't enter into it if you don't think of ideas, laws, truths, moral principles, legal principles as having an objective authority. If it's all about the will, anything that conflicts with your will is seen as something bad. Again, there are people who are for abortion. They don't say they believe in abortion. They're pro-choice. And in this postmodern mindset, choosing is, is what makes something right or wrong. Now, 
It's taken further, though. It's not just the will. It's the will to power. Right. You're getting all these ideas, critical race theory. There's also critical feminist theory, uh, critical queer theory that sees that existing moral laws, tradition, ideas, even the body itself has no objective validity. And when somebody is trying to persuade you, it's not just a matter. They're trying to impose their will on On you. Yeah. And specifically you're trying, they're trying to impose their power over you. And so any disagreement is seen. If you disagree with me, you are trying to oppress me. And the other side of the coin, therefore I have to oppress you. Yeah, because yeah, because we've divided everything into oppressors and oppressed today. I mean, I, I see that in in the liberation theologies in the city and all these kind of things. But here's a here's a question because I I try to explain this to people that I a lot of times we hear left and right, left and right, conservatives, uh, uh, liberals, and I go no 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 those those categories are gone because the yeah. the the traditional liberal and the traditional conservative believed in fundamental truths. They believed that there were truths that were bigger than us or authority that was above us. It's even in our, our Declaration of Independence, you have a, you have dignity because God created you, and that's why the state can't take it away. Here's my question to you. I think there's a new category out there, and I don't think people realize we're dealing with this, and I call them secular pietists or secular statists. Mm-hmm. And what they are is, like you said, people who say there is no objective truth, and where they finally find the best way to codify their truth is in state power. So if they get in charge, then their will to power is the truth. Is that a good category to start working with? It is. And it's not only a matter of you know making everything go their way, but they want everybody to agree with these ideas. They're trying All right. to get their minds. They want everybody to consent to make their will correspond with this general will that they're formulating. Right. And so if you don't go along with it, you are an enemy. And and so, I mean, if you believe that, that's an excuse for oppressing everybody. And so it's 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 very intrusive. I mean, that that court case about 303 creative is very interesting, very important. Mm-hmm. The idea that the state cannot compel speech. Uh, Luther talks about this uh, in, himself in the temporal authority, uh, the extent to which it should be obeyed. And in 1523, 500, this is the 500th anniversary of that, where, Lewis, where, where Luther really gets into some of the issues that we're struggling with. And he made that point. Okay, the, the, the rulers of his day, they can control us externally. But they must not even try to control us on the inside. Um, they, they can't compel us to make a, a confession that somebody doesn't really believe. Right. They can't reach the heart. But the, the effort that they're trying to make today under this Nietzschean kind of mindset is they want to control the heart. The heart. And, and, of course, if, if you couldn't... Um, since you're an enemy of the state, those who are disagreed, you will get burned as heretics back in the old days or handed yeah. over to the SS uh, in the Nazi uh, days. Recent days or the Nazi days. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, I call them secular blasphemy laws. I mean, we're starting to see that like in yeah. Michigan yeah. now they have you cannot say something that will make me feel like mm -hmm. I'm uh uncomfortable or I'm threatened. Well, if the if the so there's no objective reality in this law. I mean, yeah. if a person suddenly says I feel threatened, you can be fine because yeah. they feel threatened. Yeah. And 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 people are like, "Oh yeah, this is the kind of law we need because this will make us more civil people. This is the kind of law the Nazis put in place." Yeah. Again, it's not a matter <laughs> of what you do that you actually hurt them or right. hurt them. It's your attitude threatens them. Your your being, uh what you are inside, that threatens them. Right. And so that must be controlled. And so that's taking government power far beyond uh you know what we normally uh think of into some really dangerous uncharted territories well and that's i think that's one of the things we're the live and let live people now that is, <laughs> that's going to sound funny because no one has ever described the lutheran church in missouri synod <laughs> as the live and let live church <laughs> you know we're, we're we're generally characterized as a very conservative church but what we what we're saying is no god's 10 commandments have moral authority that that's that's bigger than our consent they're true because god says they're true and the mm -hmm. founding fathers had that notion of of the commandments too that they were they were written they saw them written in nature itself but they also saw them in the scripture and they had authority so there could be no just law that violated the 10 commandments but you know you're talking about today the state saying we're going to dictate what your heart believes hate yeah. hate speech speech codes these kind of things and people see this as progress how do they come? How try to help us understand the other side that sees this as progress? Well, they they look to a, a world where everyone's will is is forms a general will. Again, that was a Nazi concept too. Hitler was sought to embody the general will of the people. Right. They didn't think of themselves. I mean, a true Nazi back then didn't think of themselves as being you know, ruled by by a despot unless they were resisting it on the inside, as many and many Christians especially were. But the idea he embodies what we all want. He mm. is the leader, the the Fuhrer, the, the leader. The, and so we're all behind him no matter what. And he embodies the will and the will to power. He constructs his own morality so that we're liberated from these jewish ideas about a transcendent reality uh grounded in god that holds even the state uh, accountable yeah uh, yeah accountable um we he we create our own truths um we're not limited by this you know jewish idea that's why they called ideas that came from christianity jewish and there's one reason they're so opposed to the to the jews uh, but you know, they, t real quick, talk about that a little bit because um, when I talk about the final solution, I always ask people what what was Hitler's final solution, and they tend to think of it ethnically, like yeah. well, it was the Jewish yeah. people, but it was because the Jewish people were people of the book, and the mm -hmm. book talked about a transcendent authority. They Hitler would have thought of Christians as a yeah. Jewish sect, yeah. and, and he did, and they did, uh, mm -hmm. but but they didn't bring that out immediately he said we'll take care of that of christianity well, yeah later <laughs> but the church had become so liberal in the state church this mindset that the church should do whatever the culture does we see that today in liberal mainstream liberal uh theology uh 
it was the same theologians who believed that we should go along with this new Hitler kind of idea. Wow. Uh, so, so we've got the same kind of thing going on today. Well, that so again, you know, we see this happen. A lot of us were like, oh, good. The Supreme Court ruled and we see it as a proper ruling that allows us to all kind of live according to our conscience, live lovingly to our neighbor, even with whom we disagree. And one neighbor can't weaponize the state against another. That's how we saw that ruling. What we're dealing with is people saying, well, that ruling doesn't now bind us because we disagree with it. Yeah. All right. So how can the church be the church? We do believe that law and order is a, 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 an important thing. God actually preserves his world through good government. We see this as bad government. Then if you're just going to say, I'm going to disobey the law because we don't think it's right. How do we how do we start to deal with this? Well, we have to be faithful and build on our uh, worldview and not surrender. I know a lot of conservatives and Christians, if we're left by ourselves, it's easy for us to start thinking the same way. Right. Uh, this, this was a law. Uh, these rulings were very tightly argued, some really well-written art, but to to, to to the opponents, it doesn't matter because reason doesn't matter. And if I right. don't want to do it, I won't follow that. Again, Christians, you know, some of them could be the same way. Uh, but if we hold to our to the, to our uh, to, to the scriptures and are faithful uh, in our circles of influence and in our vocations, the good news is that the postmodern mindset, I think, is dissolving. Or will eventually, because it's contradicting itself. It has to. When you have uh, now feminists are, are arrayed against the transgenderists, the men who claim to be women and all of the rights and privileges thereof. Okay, that's that's not a stable thing. Uh, uh, homosexuals are now in conflict with the transgenderists, because if you're same-sex uh uh, attracted, then you must be the different sex rather than you know, yeah. all of these things are very on a weak foundation because they don't have truth or reality on their side. Mm -hmm. I don't think Christians should panic. Let's just wait. Let's just wait. Ideas come and go, and they come and go very quickly. Uh, again, not long ago, just a few years ago, being uh, gay or whatever was considered, oh, well, that's nature. We we're born this way. Right. Now, now the, the the party line is is the opposite. This is the matter of our choice. We just need to hold on. We just need to hold on. And we don't know what persecutions may come. Actually, persecutions are times when the church is at its best. Mm -hmm. But the other side it is is not going to win ultimately. I don't know how long it's going to take. Yeah. But we just need to hold on. And we'll watch the other side start to self-destruct. Well, and I think one of the things, ways to do it, too, and this is how I used to do it in evangelism in places like New York or L.A. where I served, where, where Christians were not always welcome in the city. The city politics, the city ethos was oftentimes against us. Start with how they think about things. Like you just pointed out. The, just a few years ago, it was it was in your DNA that you were that you were homosexual. Well, now we're saying everything's a choice. Well, it was interesting. There's a law in Michigan against conversion therapy, and I'm not going to get into the conversion therapy that they're saying they're against. Blah blah blah. They're actually saying there's no such thing as 
converting or or making choices, I said, well, wait a minute. You're the ones who just said that all these genders are choosable and I can change them any day yeah. I want to. Well, why yeah. can't I go to a counselor who yeah. says, I think you should be counseled back to male and female and healthy differentiation and dignity and also uh, uniqueness. I think you should be counseled back to that. Well, why not? That's just another choice. And see, mm-hmm. now they're contradicting themselves, but they're putting it in state law saying, well, we're not going to resolve it. We're just going to force you to shut up. And that's what's happening. And then at that point, be bold. Well, in this case, if you're bold in Michigan, you might have to pay for it. <laughs> Hopefully we can protect you from that and we can we can get rid of some of those silly laws. But like you said, maybe that allows us to be even more clear about how God is the one who's telling us this, not human beings. This is God, and he really does care about us. You know, I I also want to tell people, and maybe you can speak to this too, we do have a cultural responsibility. I think sometimes in the Lutheran tradition, we tend to emphasize evangelism, preaching the gospel, and that's the church's ultimate. That's why we're here. That's where salvation rests. But God does tell us that he's preserving the world and that his laws at work in the world to to curb, you know, to civilize us, but also to call us to repentance. And that's part of being fruitful and multiplying and being God's people in the culture for yeah. the sake of the culture and the church. I think we've forgotten that that's also a role that God gives us to play, right? Yeah, absolutely. And Luther's temporal authority, I've been reading that, uh, it, it makes it that clear. The moral law is for the temporal kingdom. Right. As Christians, we're not under the moral law, technically. We're, we're, it's the gospel. We're still under the, the law because we're still sinful, and we still need to be brought back and know how, how to please God. But the state is under the moral law. So Christians are right to work for uh, the pro-life cause and for other moral issues in the secular realm, because that's God's kingdom, too. And he rules that by, by the, the law. Mm-hmm. By, by the first use of the law, we right. have uh, the second use and the third use, but it's the first use to curb external sin. I mean, if we didn't have that, sinners would just tear each other apart. We've right. got to have the the curb of the law in our conscience, but also that's why God created the state and earthly governments, earthly authorities, to control that outward behavior. Now, when they start to try to control the inner part, that's right. where they step over the bounds. That's yeah. why they're interfering with God's spiritual kingdom. That's the only thing that can change us on the inside, the gospel of Christ. Um, and so um, when people don't have that sense, that two kingdoms theology is so helpful in helping us to sort out uh, a lot of these issues. Yeah, well, because uh, like I said before, you, you, I love your book, God at Work. I think that's a really good book for a- average Christians to realize, wow, God is involved in all of this stuff, but he differentiates his work. Yeah. You know, he preserves and he saves, and he says, make sure you're asking the right questions of my work and then be useful in my hands. Um, I think that's, people just need to understand that differentiating is hard though. Some, so I uh, example of what i mean by this you know he god is at work preserving the world through good government doesn't save through good government which is a real heresy today that he can that people can be saved by good government Mm -hmm. but so we ask the right question of it like for a policeman who's part of government we don't tell him to turn the other cheek (laughs) that's not his role you know so we ask the right questions what's his job his job is to actually be the final backstop to the worst of our intentions 
Yeah, that's right. You know, yeah. and so, yeah. So, I mean, I was in St. Louis the other day and people were driving through red lights. I, if you see, I don't know if you've seen this in the urban, in urban places now, people are getting so callous to the law that they don't even obey stop signs and lights. I mean, they're driving 30, 45 miles an hour through red lights, not coming up and looking and going. No, just wham. Can you imagine if every person stopped obeying traffic laws? Mm-hmm. What would it be like? And if no policemen were there to say to that one jerk, "You're go- we're going to stop you and make sure that everybody knows that we're we're not letting you do this," and that's where we're at with a lot of this because, like you just said, will to power is well. If I'm going to drive through it and he can't stop me, yeah, here we are. Well, I, I tell you what, it's it's really it, it scares me a little bit what even Christians are willing to let government do. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, I, I always tell people that when Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. But I wish he would have said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and only what is Caesar's. Um, now, obviously, the Bible does describe what Caesar's work's supposed to do. But it's amazing to me. So many Christians now are giving Caesar all kinds of latitude to do things that God never even designed it to do. Isn't that a problem in our culture today? Aren't we almost voting in some of the wrong things? Yeah, well, it is. And of course, then eventually Caesar was claiming to be God and forced mm-hmm. people to burn the incense to Caesar. And that was what got Christians thrown to the lions during right. the early days of the early church. So it's when the state tries to acquire all authority right. and all and to solve all of our problems and to control everything. That's the totalitarian impulse. Mm-hmm. Uh, they call it equity now, though. See, they don't call it totalitarianism. Yeah. I mean, that's in, when and folks, when we, you hear us talk about equality versus equity, even on our program, we're saying the government's like a good referee. They call they call balls and strikes or they call the game the same for everybody and everyone should get to the same starting line. Equity is that everyone finishes the same. And the only way you can finish the same, uh, you know, that defies even First Corinthians 12, where God gives different gifts to people, you know, solving everything and coming out at the same at the end that is a totalitarian state you do not want to live in but it seems like people are persuaded by that today gene yeah i know and the 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 kind of equity that if it doesn't happen then you change the rules of the game so that everybody wins and 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 changing you know your theology in order to make sure everybody is is the, the same and so yeah that's and that doesn't really respect individuals or anything else and it doesn't advance freedom you know your analogy of the the traffic tie-ups if nobody stopped at red lights you, you think everybody can free be free to do whatever uh drive however they want but no what that does is create a gridlock and nobody is free right See, and it's it, right, and it's it makes so much sense to us, but it seems in the modern mind it doesn't make any sense at all. And I think, Gene, that's what I I love about your books, and so I would, I would challenge folks to really uh, read and, and also your your Chronic Institute. You know, here I know you talk about these kinds of issues. We have a different way of living too. So let's get out there and talk about not just why we're saying let's use the state properly to keep that in its place, but here's a different way to live. We strive for excellence in all that we do to give God glory and to serve our neighbor in his name. That is a beautiful way to live. And that way can't be lived the way that you're hearing the will to power people uh, talk about it. So, Gene, uh, again, how can people get a hold of you if they want to get to know more about what you're doing? 
Well, you can look at my blog at uh, Pathios. It's the Cranach, C-R-A-N-A-C-A-H, uh, named after Luther's friend, the artist. Good example of vocation. Now, Cranach lived out his faith in, through his art, through his politics, through his economic activity, through his business. Um, that's something we talk a lot about. So uh, that would be a good starting point to uh, to uh, be part of the community of people that are trying to talk through a lot of these things and think through them. So, uh, well, it's been great to have you on. And like always, uh, you give um, you give our listeners resources to do just that. And I really, really appreciate it. Thanks for being with us today, Gene. Well, thank you. It's my pleasure. Thanks for tuning in today. To get to know our LCRLDC work better, check out our website at lcrlfreedom.org. Till next time, God bless you always. I'm Greg Sells. Have a great week. You've been listening to Liberty Action Alert with Greg Seltz, Executive Director of the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty in Washington, D.C. This program has been brought to you by the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty. 